When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Tonight on the Sword of the Spirit podcast, I'll be talking about dealing with distress. The Bible says a lot regarding this topic, and I want to share a few scriptures with you as an encouragement so you can know what to do when you're going through a high anxiety and intense situation in life. Life isn't just rainbows and daffodils and sunshine and happiness and joy. You're going to go through some adversity and you ought to do it with the word of God by your side being an encouragement for you. So I want to talk about dealing with distress. That's the main topic of the evening right here on the podcast. And it starts in 60 seconds. show everybody it's march 2nd 2020 it's 8:20 p.m eastern time the show is 20 minutes late tonight because of some technical issues typically i go on the air at 8 p.m central 8 p.m central each and every monday night on my youtube channel youtube.com slash ben the baptist i call it technical difficulties in reality it was my fault Basically, I started live streaming and I didn't recognize that I was live streaming to myself. It wasn't public, so I stopped it and restarted it. (laughs) It's been a long day for me, all right, so you'll have to forgive me, and I do apologize for that. But welcome to the show, everyone. It's episode 29. I'm talking about dealing with distress on the program. What is distress? Well, according to a dictionary, if you were to open it up and look it up, extreme anxiety or pain is a way that you can describe this. And the thing is, life isn't just going to be happy. It's not just sunshine and rainbows. You're going to go through some adversity. You're going to go through some problems in life, whether it's losing a job, losing a loved one, going through high-intensity stress, maybe even persecution for the cause of Christ. Every time I go to church on Sunday morning, these disgusting, reprobate, God-hating mockers, protesters standing outside the church at Steadfast Baptist Church are out there with their signs trying to discourage people from walking into the building, shouting obscenities, uttering a bunch of filth because they hate the Lord Jesus Christ, but also they want to discourage and demoralize people from serving God. And that's what happens when you go to a church that's actually doing something for Christ. You're going to face that tribulation. You're going to face that distress. You're going to face the distress that inevitably comes with living for God and going to a church that emphasizes the word of God and goes out and gets people saved and preaches hard against sin. And you know what? Doesn't hold back. When you have a pastor who lifts up his voice like a trumpet, and doesn't care what the world says, but only what the Bible says, obviously, that's going to attract God-haters and mockers and scoffers and people who despise the Lord Jesus Christ. And Steadfast Baptist Church has been going through that lately with these protesters. And they know who I am. They've checked out this channel. They know exactly who I am. They'll mock the channel while I'm walking to, to church. And the reality is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they say. They're the ones who are going to burn in hell forever. They're the ones who are going to be cast into the lake of fire with no way out, experiencing eternal torment and judgment, fire and brimstone, without any way out, without any hope. But you, the saved Christian, if you're listening to this and you're saved, you do have hope. You have hope through the word of God. You have hope through eternal life, salvation, that you know where you're going. 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5. You know where you're going after you die. Because God can't lie. Because you have eternal life. And if you go to hell for any reason, after receiving eternal life, it was never eternal. That eternal security of the believer is so important when it comes to going through a distress, a time of distress, a stressful situation. And so I wanted to focus on that later on here for the live stream. You can call it the main topic of the evening. But first of all, let's go over the latest news. Let's talk about what's been going on in the news lately. Everyone's talking about the coronavirus. Everyone's freaking out over this coronavirus, which I said when I covered it a few weeks ago now, that this had the potential to turn into a pandemic. And that's exactly what happened. I'm not tuning my own horn. I'm, try I'm not trying to brag or anything like that. Anybody could have figured that out. And everyone did who was paying attention. They claim it started at a food market in Wuhan, China, which I don't believe. I don't think that was really... Uh, they say that some food market there where they were selling illegal produce or I don't know what it was. But here's the thing, okay? They were eating some wacky foods there, like bat soup or something like that. They claim it started there. I will get into the cause of this coronavirus in the end game next week here on the show. I'm going to have a special guest on to talk about that. I did a podcast a few weeks ago with a brother in Christ from China where we answered the question, is this the judgment of God on China? The answer is yes. Well, now the question doesn't involve just China, but now the question is, is this the judgment of God on the entire Western world? Because this thing has permeated Europe and it's come to the United States. The U.S. has seen its first deaths courtesy of the coronavirus, six dead in America because of this. Now, I will say the media is overhyping the coronavirus. It's overhyping this pandemic because they want you to go out and get vaccinated. Okay, they want you to go out and get vaccinated. They want you to take poison, literal poison. Read the vaccine inserts if you don't believe me. Literal poison. They put aborted baby parts in the vaccines and then sell you on them saying that they'll help prevent you from getting a disease that's a bunch of lies. Sorry, I get a little... I get kind of worked up about this stuff, okay? Because I don't like seeing people get autism because of vaccines. I don't like seeing the medical industrial complex fed by people who are abusing it so they can make billions and billions and billions of dollars. I'm talking about big pharma, okay? The vaccine industry is going to exploit this coronavirus to push forced inoculations on everyone, to make people go out and take the vaccine. Even today, people go take their flu shot, they're brainwashed into thinking that the vaccine is going to prevent disease when it makes people sick. It makes people sick. Jesus Christ said, they that are whole need not a physician. That's a carnal truth, picturing something spiritual, but it's still a carnal truth. It's still true. If you're whole, you don't need a physician. And even if you are afraid of getting the coronavirus, here's what you do. Nutrition. You emphasize good nutrition. You are what you eat. And I'm kind of a hypocrite in this area because I do enjoy McDonald's from time to time. I'll admit it. I need to stop that, okay? I'll confess my faults to you right now. I need to stop with the McDonald's. I need to quit. Every once in a while, I do eat that, okay? But here's the thing. That's not right. I'm not trying to make excuses for it right now. You are what you eat. And if you're afraid of contracting the coronavirus or whatever other pandemic, quote unquote, ends up happening in the future that gets hyped up by the media, just watch what you eat. Fruits, vegetables, a, a balanced diet will build up your immune system and then you won't die as a result of a virus that really, it's pretty much just a mirror of pneumonia. Unless you're elderly or very, very young, someone with a weakened immune system, you're not going to die because of the coronavirus. But those who do unfortunately lose their lives are being 
spotlighted right now because I do believe the agenda is to bring in the vaccine for this thing and force everyone to take it, to embolden big pharma. That doesn't mean there isn't some precautions you should take. This thing did hit the shores of America, for sure. And I want to show you this article here, courtesy of CNN, the Clinton News Network, by the way, fake news, but they do have this somewhat accurate. Six people have died from novel coronavirus in the U.S. as as cases nationwide surge. Nationwide, these cases have surged, they're saying. Six people have died in Washington state as the United States grapples with more than 100 cases of the disease caused by the novel coronavirus. The cases are probably going to get worse in the sense that more people are going to contract this thing. But again, unless you're elderly, unless you're very young, you won't die from this. Your immune system will fight it off. You'll probably be very uncomfortable for a little while. It is the pneumonia. I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this isn't something you should take heed to a little bit at least and be somewhat cautious about. But you don't need to be freaking out over it. At least 18 new cases were announced across the country Sunday, including the first two cases reported in Florida. Florida and Washington State have issued emergency declarations. People are going crazy. And I think, again, the news media hypes these things up and it makes people run to the supermarket, grab as much food as possible. The shelves are emptying right now. Why? Because people have a fear of their own mortality. People have a fear of death today. When you don't have Jesus Christ and you're not sure what happens next, of course you're going to fear death. That's bondage. Fear of a certain second death is bondage. There's no doubt about that. But here's what boggles my mind. You go out soul winning and you knock doors. You have the gospel in hand. You're trying to get people saved. And then they'll just come up with some stupid excuse as to why they don't want to hear you. They'll come up with some dumb excuse about how they're cooking something right now or they're watching TV or worse yet, they're playing Xbox and they're too busy playing their dumb video game to listen to the gospel for 10 minutes and be sealed until the day of redemption. No, too busy playing a dumb video game. But then when they hear about the coronavirus, they drop everything immediately, run to the nearest grocery store, stock up on food, stock up on water. And I'm not against people who want to be prepared. I'm not against people who want to buy some extra food and water. That's fine. But what you notice with the masses is they only care about their flesh. They're so concerned about their flesh. They're so concerned about the coronavirus and how it might afflict their flesh. But then when you show them the cure for the spiritual death that they will face if they don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of them, well, I'm busy right now. I've got things to do. I don't have time. I'm not interested. I'm good. I'm Catholic. I already believe all that, even though they don't. They'll give you some contradictory answer. I'm not saying every neighborhood's like that. There's going to be areas you go soul winning where people want to hear it and they will listen and you'll preach the gospel so many times that your throat gets raw from the, from the amount of talking that you're doing. So yeah, there's places that want to hear the gospel. Don't get me wrong. But there are other neighborhoods, rich areas, for example, where they're more concerned with their fancy car and mowing the lawn or whatever else they're doing, the materialism and their own flesh rather than being saved, rather than the spiritual things. And that really gets exposed whenever there's an event that might end up afflicting people's flesh, like a virus, which I believe is the judgment of God on the Western world. You can't spit in the face of God as long as the West has done without expecting some kind of response. And I think that's what we're seeing today. Does that mean the coronavirus is going to wipe everyone out? Does that mean this is the beginning of the end times or the seals of revelation are opening? No, not at all. And I do think the media is overhyping this. They want you to take the vaccine. They want to feed the medical industrial complex. But there's another angle to this as well, which is just how amazing it is 
for people who don't want to hear the gospel, who at the same time go out and grab as much food as they can, trying to save their flesh from what they perceive to be an imminent threat. And yet when you tell them about the threat of hell, doesn't concern them. Maybe they just don't believe it exists. That's probably the case. There's some political news I wanted to get to involving Hillary Clinton. Hillary, U.S. District Judge, orders Hillary Clinton to sit for deposition on use of private email account. And there's a video associated with this, but basically, I don't want to play the video, but essentially what's going on here is Hillary Clinton, who used, by the way, a private email server to conduct Justice Department business, now is going to be faced with a deposition. I'm not expecting anything to come of this, by the way. Donald Trump said on the campaign trail that he would investigate Hillary Clinton. In fact, in one of the debates, he said, you would be in jail if he became president. And then the second he got elected, he totally reneged on that. And we ought, you know, you ought to hold this guy's feet to the fire. Trump, you said you would put Hillary in prison. Didn't do it. Too many puppets, too many neocons, too many swamp creatures in his cabinet, I guess. The same swamp that he said he would drain. But Hillary Clinton is going to be facing a deposition. It's just a dog and pony show. Nothing's going to come of it. And the reason why I even bring it up is because these politicians are above the law, folks. You have to remember that. Whenever they're being, quote, investigated by anyone, it's just for show. So they can exonerate her and make it appear as if Hillary did nothing wrong because, well, she was investigated a bunch of times and nothing came of it. Therefore, she must have been innocent. Well, no, she wasn't. And what's funny about this private email thing is Barack Obama, when he was president, he claimed that he had no idea Hillary was even using a private email server. But then when the WikiLeaks were released, it showed that Obama had actually emailed that very same private server a bunch of times. They're liars. They're all liars. All these politicians are a bunch of liars. And Donald Trump lied when he said he would investigate Hillary. Trump supporters, if you're watching this right now, hold the president's feet to the fire on his broken promises. Show some integrity. Don't be a slave to the two-party system, to the false left-right paradigm. And speaking of politics, I wanted to show this real quickly here. Pete Booty Judge drops out of Democratic presidential race. A few weeks ago, it looked like he was going to be the front runner. Looked like potentially Pete the Sodomite might end up being the Democratic nominee, but he dropped out and ended up endorse, endorsing creepy Joe Biden, who is a pedophile, by the way. Booty Judge. No longer running for president, but this doesn't mean we're out of the woods yet when it comes to this faggot because it's possible the Democratic nominee picks him to be his vice presidential running mate. We'll see if that happens. But Pete the faggot, Pete the sodomite, Pete the beast, the animal, the reprobate drops out of the Democratic presidential race. You say, why are you so mean? Because he hates God. The Bible says, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. Am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. Psalm chapter 139. I hate Pete the faggot. Get over it. If you don't like it, this isn't the YouTube channel for you. And Pete the faggot, although he's not going to be running for president anymore, could be someone's VP pick. And by the way, if you think I'm being too harsh about this, I'm not going to pull the article up for sake of time, but... Pete the faggot, at one of his rallies or something like that, pulls up onto the stage a nine-year-old boy and helps him, quote, come out as a sodomite. Because these animals prey on children. They prey on the innocent. They hate the innocent. They want to defile the innocent. That's what they want to do. They sexualize children through drag queen pedophile hour. And Pete the faggot sexualized a nine-year-old kid Helped him, quote, come out at one of his political rallies. It was vomit-inducing. So don't be angry with me. Be angry with him. Take all that vitriol you have for Bible-believing Christians and turn it onto the sodomites who are defiling children. Why aren't you angry at them? Don't be angry at the people preaching against them. Anyway, that's enough about that. I wanted to play this video here and respond to it. Feminists hate 
traditionalism. And they also hate women who refuse to go along with their agenda. And if you don't believe me, take a look at this clip. I want to take you back to the 1950s, or at least that's what I thought when I read this Brisbane mum's Facebook post. Brooke Smith shared her routine online. Here's what she said. I always make sure I don't go to bed until everyone's lunches are packed, their clothes are set out for the next day, including my husband's, and the house is clean, dishwasher is on, and a load of washing is on. I always get up early, 4.30, with my husband to make his breakfast no. and coffee. Um... Go, Brooke. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I mean, I tell you what, though, Chris. I mean, a lot of people um, online are, are saying, "Well done," uh, are praising her. Who? Who are these people? <laughs> oh, has he hypnotised her or something? Who does this stuff? Making his breakfast and then putting his clothes out of a night—is he disabled or something? Like seriously, so to get a grip, and little... get off your bum and do stuff yourself. Wow. My only thing what is, a, is what that a she sissy might actually right. like. Look this little sissy, this little white knight over here. Anyway, for those of you who don't know what's going on, I found this clip where basically I think this is Aussie television. This mother who committed the thought crime of wanting to take care of her family who loves her children, who loves her husband, who gets up early to prepare breakfast for him, etc., has been mocked mercilessly in the media by the left, by feminists, because they hate it when women reject their agenda. And here's an example of that. These media personalities laughing and scoffing at this woman. This was news a few weeks ago, and I wanted to make a video about it. I just never had a chance to, so I figured I'd talk about it on the podcast before getting into the main topic of the evening dealing with distress but speaking of distress this woman kind of went through a little bit of distress courtesy of feminists marxist feminists god-hating feminists laughing at her and of course the estrogen-filled white knights like this fool over here this male feminist over here on the right oh this guy why didn't he get up and do it himself well, you know what? God forbid that he's married to a woman that actually loves him and wants to serve him like the Bible says. But we're coming to an age in which simply loving your husband is going to get you attacked by people. Serving your husband, obeying your husband as a woman is going to get you mocked and scoffed at by these people. And I know why. It's because they're miserable. It's because they're so miserable, they don't get that. You know, that guy, he doesn't get that in his marriage. His wife is working 80 hours, 80 is a little too much probably, probably working a 40, 50 hour per week job, never does anything with him, probably bosses him around, probably has a short, unattractive dyke haircut. And so he looks at that woman serving her husband and he's envious. He's envious of that. Because he's miserable in his own worldly marriage. Let's go back. Her husband, and she might actually like to get up at 4.30 and spend yeah. some time. Yeah, I mean, him. I like my husband, but make your own bloody breakfast <laughs> and coffee. I mean, you know. Imagine being married the most, the, Apparently this couple run an MMA fighting gym. Oh, like mixed they, martial arts. Mixed martial arts, and they also breed bulldogs, so they can do whatever they want. <laughs> I'm like, You're I'm not like, arguing. Yeah. Hey, you know what, if it makes her happy, but, I mean, nothing in that list of things there, you know. And she's Blood. got four children under the age of six. But did you see her photos too? She still had time to like make her hair yeah. look beautiful oh. and put her makeup she's on. Women attacking women. See, she brings up her oh, yeah. looks because she's yeah, envious. Yeah, the rest of us look bad. That's enough of that. I mean, you know. But yeah, I want to point out something. You had this plastic TV personality. That was kind of... I, I'll do her a favor and, and, and make her look a little bit better. But here you, you have this, this, this plastic fake TV personality mocking and scoffing at the woman who wants to serve her husband. Because, like the guy, her marriage, if she has one, probably is nowhere near as happy as the marriages of those who follow the Bible. So she's, <clears throat> excuse me, she's envious of the happiness of that woman. Because guess what? When women are in the proper role within the confines of a biblical marriage, they're happier. 
You know what feminism gives them? Feminism gives them mental illness. Feminism gives them depression. Feminism gives them anxiety. Feminism has resulted in an era in which women are unhappier than they've ever been. But they have more rights than they ever have gotten. Why is that? Maybe it's because when you mess with the traditional natural order, you're not going to get the expected results you think you're going to get. And in this case, we have people who are in miserable marriages, living miserable lives with no meaning, mocking a woman, and I'm not even sure if she's Christian, but mocking a woman and laughing at a woman who has the audacity to love her husband. Those are the times we're living in today. How do you rebel against something like that? Well, I talked about it a few weeks ago right here on the program. You rebel by just living a godly Christian life and having a marriage that models itself after what the Bible says. In Colossians chapter 3, for example, it says in verse number 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Hate speech. It's hate speech today, according to some people. You're not allowed to espouse this sort of thing. You can't just read Bible verses anymore without people freaking out and calling you, quote, sexist or whatever, but this is what the Word of God says. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, in verse number 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. But it goes on and it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. So when you have a marriage consisting of a leader, a strong-willed leader who knows what direction he wants to take his family down and has got a good job and is providing for his family and providing for his wife, and you have a wife who wants to submit to that husband and do what he says and follow his direction, what you get is happiness. What you get is a woman, like the one highlighted in that clip that the Aussie television hosts were laughing at, who's so happy and proud of her life and so happy to be involved in a relationship like that. She talks about it on social media. And then you have these people who never read the Bible, want nothing to do with those sort of values, who look at that and they laugh at it and they scoff at it and they think it's funny and they make fun of her. And they tell the the guy, like, you know, how come that guy doesn't just get off his rerun? Because he's working 40 hours, 50 hours a week. 60 hours a week. Because he's the one putting food on the table. So it makes sense for him to come home to a home that's clean and prepared for him. Those marriages work out the best. But the world hates it. And they always will. So I just thought that was interesting. Woman being made fun of, bullied by Aussie media, by the, quote, tolerant leftists who are the most intolerant people you'll ever meet. I want to play a video and then we're going to transition to the main topic of the evening. This is something involving the new IFB. Check it out. Everybody, Pastor Boyle here from Revival Baptist Church of the Greater Orlando area, and I wanted to make a quick video just kind of to give an update with all the things that are taking place. One I want to start with today, we had an awesome day today. We had an attendance record again. Um, that's the third or fourth time we've broken the record in the last four or five weeks. Um, great attendance. We saw 17 souls saved today and five baptisms that took place today. Uh, we're just excited with what God is doing here. It's been a tremendous day at Revival Baptist Church of the greater Orlando area. And today I also announced to our church family the joining together of the two churches there, Steadfast Jacksonville and Revival Baptist Church. And I just want to make this video to let all those folks know there in Jacksonville and maybe those that are watching, uh, the church is excited. We're ready to extend the hand of fellowship. 
and to join together to do some great things for God. And so if you're there in Jacksonville and you've got some questions and you're not sure what it all entails, feel free to reach out to Revival Baptist Church or myself, and we'd be glad to give you some information and go over the details. But I'm looking forward to next Sunday. I know Pastor Anderson will be there Friday. Pastor Tommy McMurtry will be there on Saturday. And then Pastor Shelley and myself on Sunday. And so I'll see everybody then, but I just wanted to give you a quick update and uh, let you know of things going on and that we are excited. The church is behind it 100%. And we're looking forward to what God is going to do through the two churches coming together. God bless. All right. You heard it from Pastor Patrick Boyle. I wanted to mention this real quickly here on the podcast. The church I used to attend, Steadfast Jacksonville, is no longer going to be Steadfast Jacksonville. This weekend, there's going to be a transition. It'll be taken over by Revival Baptist Church. I think this is awesome. I'm very excited for the church in Jacksonville. It's just what the doctor ordered for that congregation there, to have a pastor come in and preach every Thursday. It's going to be great for them. And also... I think to merge those two and potentially have some preachers coming in from Revival Baptist Church in Orlando, preaching in Jacksonville and vice versa, is going to do wonders for both churches. Really exciting opportunity for people in both churches. And if you live in the Jacksonville area and you haven't checked out Steadfast Jacksonville as of yet, you definitely are uh, missing out. And definitely... You're going to be missing out even more so now that it's becoming Revival Jacksonville. Pastor Patrick Boyle will be taking over the Jacksonville, Florida church plant, which has been through a lot. It's been through distress. And that's actually a good segue into what I wanted to discuss here to close the show, which is dealing with distress. Pastor Patrick Boyle has dealt with distress. And by the way, when I look at Pastor Boyle and I look at his family, you know what I think of? traditionalism. And here's some good news, just to piggyback off of that feminist video and then making fun of the woman who submits to her husband. There is a growing movement of trad wives out there. There's a growing movement of people rebelling the counterculture, and you love to see it. Pastor Patrick Boyle embodies that, him and his family. Great soul winners, they love the Lord, and I think like I said, just what the doctor ordered for Steadfast Jacksonville. But that church has been through a lot. It started with Tyler Baker, the ex-deacon of Faithful Word Baptist Church, who turned out to be a oneness heretic. They all were waiting for him, but then it didn't work out that way because he got fired, rightfully so, for denying the Trinity. And then the evangelist who was sent out there turned out to be a Judas Iscariot, so they had to figure out what to do next. And Pastor Shelley put together a preaching rotation, and that worked out for a little while. Now, Pastor Boyle will be taking over a church that has gone through a lot, a ton of distress. But the question is, when you go through distress in your life, anxiety, stress, losing a loved one, whatever the case may be, how should you respond? What can you do about that? In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Well, no, the answer is nothing can. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. By your faith. You know what is comforting when you're going through issues in your life is the faith of other Bible-believing Christians out there. And how do you respond when you're involved in a very stressful situation where the first thing you ought to do is pray? And the Bible says, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that that we desired of him. And David exemplifies this attribute in first samuel chapter 30 it says in verse 1 and it came to pass when david and his men were come to ziklag on the third day that the amalekites had invaded the south and ziklag and smitten ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein they slew not any either great or small but carried them away and went on their way 
So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. You see David crying. That's what weeping is. He's crying until he has no more power to weep. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever been in a situation where you're crying so profusely, so much, that you don't even have power to to weep anymore. But David was, verse 5, And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Here we have a situation where David's wives are taken captive, courtesy of the Amalekites. And David doesn't simply freak out and do nothing about it. He certainly does go through some emotional distress here, but then he prays. He encourages himself in the Lord. And whenever you're going through a situation like this, It helps to encourage yourself in the Lord. It helps to pray. It helps to communicate with God. That veil's been rent. You don't have to go to an earthly priest anymore. We're all priests. We're all part of a spiritual priesthood if you want to communicate with God the Father. It simply takes prayer. You have not because you ask not. Prayer actually works. It's not simply a mindless ritual. And if you lose a loved one or you lose a job or... You're having trouble finding a job and you're unemployed or you're having issues raising your children or you're having issues in your marriage. Take it to God. Pray. If you're tempted by sin, just because you're saved doesn't mean the flesh disappears. You're going to be tempted with sin. Pray to the Father and bring those issues to him and encourage yourself in the Lord. The second thing you should do to deal with distress is walk in the Spirit. Because if you're walking in the flesh, if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not going to church, what you'll find is you'll end up getting upset over things that are carnal. You'll get upset over things that you really shouldn't be mad about, over stupid carnal issues. And you'll find yourself in a state of distress constantly because you're not walking in the Spirit. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. I kind of read it too fast there, but one of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. When you're filled with the Spirit, when you're hanging out with the people of God and you're talking about the Bible or you're going to church and you're listening to a lot of sermons and you're filling your head with spiritual things, you're going to exhibit joy. Because that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. So if you're taking care of your Christian life, then even when you go through distressful periods, then you're going to find a way to get through it without totally losing your mind. 1 Peter chapter 1, it says in verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So what's it saying here? It's talking about people who are having their faith tried by fire. And if you think you're going to go through the Christian life without having your faith tried by fire, you're in for a pretty huge surprise. Just because you do choose to live a righteous life doesn't mean you're not going to be tested. Look at what happened to Job, covered in boils, losing his family. And he didn't deserve it. He was complete, the Bible says. It uses the word perfect, which means complete. You think he deserved that? No. But at the end of the day, He retained his integrity. Your faith is going to be tried by God. And how are you going to respond to that? How are you going to respond to that? Are you just going to lose all your faith in Scripture? Are you just going to stop? Are you going to say, well, you know what? I tried, but it didn't work out. I'm still going through problems. Just backslide and forget about it and quit? No, you ought to rejoice. Because the Bible says, whom having not seen ye love... You haven't seen Jesus Christ, but you know what? If you're living for him, you're loving him. 
You haven't seen him yet. You will one day. Though now you see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Even when your faith is being tried by fire. Even when, and again, I talked about this earlier, but you have these protesters at Steadfast Baptist Church screaming obscenities at you. The guy comes with a megaphone now. Standing outside the church, yelling and using disgusting, filthy language to try and demoralize you and discourage you to go to church. Even when you're getting made fun of or mocked for your faith. You look at Nehemiah just rebuilding Jerusalem, building the wall. And he had to deal with Sanballat, Tobiah, the heathen, Arabians. Yea, and all that will of godly in Christ Jesus shall per- suffer persecution. When you're tried in that way, you have to retain the joy that only a saved Christian can experience. And what I mean by that is simple. You know you're going to heaven if you have the Holy Spirit. You know you have eternal life. And that joy of salvation is something that, honestly, it, it can be mitigated sometimes. It can be quelled sometimes in people who barely even think about spiritual things throughout the week. They're just watching TV all day. They're just listening to the news about the coronavirus and they're getting all freaked out about it. And they're not filled with the Spirit. And when you're not filled in the Spirit, when you're walking in the flesh, you'll notice that even things that are trivial are going to cause you to feel distressed. So if you want to get over that, you have to be filled with the Spirit. Now, there are certain situations that really are tragic. You might lose a loved one. You know, you for example, people die, Okay. If you're mourning a death, the Bible does talk about this. And when Abraham lost Sarah, it says in Sarah in Galatians, or I should say Genesis chapter 23, verse 2, it says, And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, and the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. How do you deal with distress when you lose a loved one? How do you deal with distress when you lose somebody who was close to you and, and you're mourning for them? Well, You take time to mourn. There's a period in which it's appropriate to just put everything away and mourn that loss and to mourn the loss of a loved one. But you know what can begin to help you come out of that? Being amongst the people of God. After that time of mourning is over, get back in church. Why? Romans chapter 12 verse 15 says, Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. You lose a father, you lose a mother, you lose a friend. When you go back to church, at the very least, you have people you can talk to about it. You have people that will rejoice when you when it's time to rejoice and weep with you when it's time to weep. And that camaraderie that you get at church is invaluable. How do you deal with distress? You maintain those godly relationships with people at your local church. You go to church every week. You fellowship with the people of God. You maintain those friendships. You invite people over to your house. You go over to other people's house. You invite them out for lunch, whatever the case may be. You hang out with people that are like-minded. Because there are enough people out there who hate the Bible. And you deal with it perhaps in your job throughout the week. But Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, soul winning times, those are the times when you can be around people who are actually like-minded. And for me, it's encouraging. I love going to church and hanging out with the people of God. I love it. I think it's great. You can talk about whatever you want. Nobody gets offended. You can talk doctrine. You can talk about what's going on in the world. You have interesting discussions. And when you're going through distress in your life, there's nothing better than to be around the people you love. There's nothing better than to be around the people of God at your church. So I think that's a very important a point, and that's I want to talk a little bit more about that. In First Thessalonians chapter three, verse nine, it says, "For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God?" What's Paul talking about here? Joying for the sakes of others. He sees the faith of the saints in the church of, at Thessalonica, and he rejoices over them. I rejoice when I see new believers coming into the church and they're growing and they're reading their Bible and they get their first souls saved and all of a sudden they're at the preaching class, preaching behind the pulpit. Seeing that growth is really, for lack of a better term, awesome. And it helps you if you're having a rough marriage or 
you have just having issues at home, your boss is a jerk and he's overworking you. When you go to church and you see how other people are excelling in the Christian life and you get to hang around with them and talk to them and ask them how things are going with them, that does help you because you kind of have this refuge, right? In the Old Testament, there were cities of refuge. Well, the New Testament church, in a sense, is kind of a refuge from the filthiness that's out there in the world that just waxes, it's just waxing worse and worse. Romans 1 verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Paul was concerned about the faith of others. Now, he was going through some distress. Paul went through some distress up to this point, but yet he rejoiced in the faith of others. That their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. The new IFB movement, here's what's crazy about it. Whenever the media attacks churches like Steadfast Baptist Church or Faithful Word Baptist Church, their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. The faith of Faithful Word Baptist Church is spoken of throughout the world. The faith of Verity Baptist Church in 2016, it was spoken of throughout, throughout the whole world, wasn't it? When Pastor Jimenez was raked through the mud and... The media made him out to be the devil incarnate because he preached against the Sodomites? Yeah, the faith of Verity Baptist Church, for sure, was spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, of course, some people weren't exactly happy with what he was doing, but I bet you there were others who looked at the faith of Pastor Jimenez and, and, and him preaching the Bible, even though it's unpopular to preach against the Sodomites, and they said, that guy's got some guts. His faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. And it's because the media chose to spotlight it. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. So if you're dealing with distress, take some time to rejoice in the people around you at your local church and fellowship with them. Because like the scripture I read to you earlier, rejoice with them that rejoice, weep with them that weep. They're there for you. And at least you have some like-minded people that you can talk to about things that are going on. Proverbs chapter 27, it says, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Iron sharpens iron. And when you're going through some problems in life, there's nothing better than learning from people in your church who are really experienced in life. People who are elder is what I'm talking about, who've been through it all. Seek counsel from those who've been married for a long time and maybe ask marriage advice from them. You know, I've done that. With, I'll just name the name, Brother Theo at Steadfast Jacksonville. I've asked him some marriage advice and tried to get just some tips from him. He's been married for a long time. So when you're going through problems, again, fellowshipping with people, being around the people of God helps tremendously. Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For they, If they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. When you fall, your brother in Christ is right there with you to lift you up again. That's the concept being taught here. That's the concept you only get in a New Testament Bible-believing church. That's a concept you get when you're around like-minded people of God, is that they're there to lift you up when you're going through some problems. But this is the last thing I want to talk about when it comes to distress, is just understand that it could always be worse. And we need to be gracious as people of God, understanding that what we have right now in our lives, no matter what it is, is a blessing. You could have nothing, but instead you have a roof over your head, you have food you can eat. People around the world, especially in third world countries, would die to be guaranteed three meals a day, and yet you have that. Think about those things. Colossians 3.15, it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Be thankful for the things you have. Jesus Christ, here's something else you should be thankful for. Jesus Christ went through literally hell for you to be saved. And whenever you're going through a problem, if your car breaks down, if you're losing a lot of money because of that, and I'm very experienced in that area, you know what helps? Thinking about your salvation, thinking about what Jesus Christ did for you. Here's Matthew 27 as an example. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put, him, put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a 
crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. How do you deal with distress? You think about what Jesus Christ did for you. And there's an example in Matthew chapter 27, getting spit on, getting mocked, even getting assaulted, physically assaulted, beaten for you, and then nailed to a cross, right? To pay the penalty for your sins. All that so you can go to heaven for free. All that so you can go to heaven for free. So whatever you're going through right now, I don't care what it is, it pales in comparison to what Jesus Christ went through to save you. That Jesus loved you so much He would be beaten and tortured and bloodied and battered, nailed to a cross, and then spend three days burning in hell on your behalf so you don't have to go there. And of course, he rose again the third day, bodily, a bodily resurrection, the gospel of Christ. He loved you so much to go through all that. I think that's a real comforting feeling. I think it's very comforting to know That the Lord Jesus Christ loved us so much that he went through all that to save us so we can go to heaven for free. So be thankful for that. Be thankful for that sacrifice because without it, you would be going straight to hell. And I think for saved people, there's a tendency to maybe take your salvation for granted. To take for granted that you have eternal life. Maybe you got saved 15, 20 years ago. And it's been so long and you're used to it by now. But you should never take it for granted. Because the vast majority of this population is going to split hell wide open. They've rejected the gospel. They don't want anything to do with Christ. And they're going to face the punishment for that forever. And there's no way out. But you're not. So be thankful. Be gracious. Meditate on what Jesus Christ did for you. And it'll help you go through some of the things you went through. Because when you realize that he went through all that to save you, then it kind of makes your own life problems not really measure up in comparison and seem inconsequential in comparison to what he went through. And here's the thing. God knows the end from the beginning. And I want to give you an example of this in Ruth chapter 1. Think about how the book of Ruth starts, okay? Because this is interesting. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two husbands, and her two sons, rather, is what it says. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Think about this for a moment. Elimelech, dead. The two sons, even, dead. Naomi is left with... Orpah, Ruth. You might be thinking, imagine if she's going through this situation right now. How could God do this for me to me? And she said it. Call me Mara. But we can't see the end from the beginning. This right here was the first domino to fall, which led to Ruth immigrating to the nation of Israel and marrying Boaz which of course is a picture of us as the bride of Christ calling on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. It was Ruth who asked Boaz for marriage, but none of that would have happened. She wouldn't have gotten saved. What people don't understand is the end from the beginning, but God does. So that's why we need to trust him when we're going through distress. Genesis 50, it says in verse 20, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph says this to his brethren. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. What these protesters outside of Steadfast Baptist Church mean for evil, God means for good. Because it just fires me up even more. It just makes me even more revved up to go to church when I see some disgusting, reprobate piece of trash out there holding a blasphemous sign. 
some rat just fires me up even more, just makes me want to go to church even more, just makes me want to go soul winning even more. What they mean for evil, God meant for good. You know, I love this Bible even more when a bunch of God-haters blaspheme it. Makes me want to read it even more. So keep protesting, you fools. Just fires me up. Makes me want to do more podcasts. Makes me want to do more YouTube videos. Scumbags yelling at me every time I go to church. Great. You know, I wasn't going to go soul winning in between church services. But then I thought of those, those deviants out there with their signs. And I said, no, I got to serve Christ. I got to stick it to him by getting more people saved this week. I didn't get anyone saved this Sunday, unfortunately, but I planted some seeds, okay? So it just fires you up even more. The distress, the affliction, it should fire you up even more. Whether it's distress emanating from the opposition, from the enemies of God, or something that's going on in your life, use it as an occasion to infuse your Christian life with just a little bit more spirituality. Do a little bit more Bible reading. Do a little bit more prayer. Lay your burdens on God. And, and just make sure you're filled with the Spirit, okay? Because when, you, when you're filled with the Spirit, that's who you can overcome this stuff. Because what's one of the fruits of the Spirit? Joy. The joy of salvation that we have is unmatched by anything. And if you get too carnal, if you're watching too much television, if you're watching too much listening to too much uh, worldly music and the Hollywood movies and everything like that, you'll lose it. Not your, you're not going to lose your salvation, but you'll lose perhaps the joy associated with that. So anyway, that's all I've got for this show. Let's look at the chat room here. Nick Connolly is a good guy right here. I like going soul winning with him. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he, he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase concerning the seeds planted this weekend out soul winning. Yeah, that's absolutely true. God gives the increase. Your work is never, ever in vain. So thanks to the chat room. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. That's it for the show. Next week, I'll have a special guest on to talk more about the coronavirus a little bit. What's the true end game? We're marching toward a world government. We're marching toward a new world order. We're marching toward a planetary government ruled over by a bunch of globalist elites. And this gentleman I have on has written about it. I'm going to have him on next Monday night at 8 p.m. Central. He's written books about it. I would consider him to be an expert in this area. And he'll be on next Monday. Won't reveal the name yet. I'll leave it as a surprise. But next Monday, it's not like a, a huge name or anything, but I think it'll be an intriguing show. Hold on just a moment. I'm dealing with a technical problem. There we go. Got it fixed. Several different platforms. We've got the Stitcher Radio app. We've got Apple Podcasts. But don't forget this one, BenTheBaptistKJV.com. BenTheBaptistKJV.com. The archive of this podcast is right there on the website. You can listen to every show that's ever been recorded. There's the audio file. There's the video file. And then I even have a link for you to download the audio if you're interested. There are some people out there who don't have YouTube Premium and they want to be able to listen to the podcast on their phones. Well, this is a means for you to do it. You can go on the website and listen to the audio right there, benthebaptistkjv.com. But I'll be back next Monday at 8 Central. Until then, God bless you all. And I'll talk to you guys again after a while.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.